Hello and welcome to the second episode of uh, Hughes Views. Firstly, we'd like to thank everyone who downloaded and listened to episode one of the podcast. Uh, thank you to everyone's feedback and thank you for all the questions on Instagram and other socials. And obviously, we're sponsored by Amphibian Apparel. Whatever the situation, home, streetwear and sports, there are no excuses. And also a shout out to KH Decorating, making your house a home. On this, uh, this episode today, we're going to talk about Liverpool's title defence. Um, we're going to talk about Man City and how they're firing on all cylinders this year. Uh, the bottom three in the Premier League, and we'll have a look at a couple of questions that we got on Instagram. And also on the topic of Instagram, uh, we just want to plug the giveaway that we've got on Instagram. It's a chance for you to win a £20 amphibian apparel voucher. The winner is going to be revealed on episode three podcast, so make sure that you're liking uh, both Hughes Views and Amphibian Apparel on Instagram, uh, following us, liking the giveaway post. Uh, and like I say, next week we will, we will reveal the winner. Uh, so get your entries in and make sure you're following all three steps. Okay, Dan, so let's look at this week's agenda. Liverpool's title defence. We've actually had a friend of the show, Jack. I've asked him these questions as well, and I'll go through his responses as well. Thank you very much, Jack, for getting in touch with us. Dan, how much of a miss is Virgil van Dijk to Liverpool this season? I think he is the glue for Liverpool. Um, I know it's not easy to say one player makes a team, but they look like a bit of a shambles without him at the back. As I said, I just touched on earlier that we, we obviously we couldn't get Jack on this week's podcast. We'll get him. On a, on a future episode, perhaps. I asked him about how much of a miss is Virgil van Dijk, and he said, before Liverpool signed van Dijk, they were shaking, low in confidence at the back. They're in control of games a lot less, and the pace of transition and attack from the back line to the forward was either slow or non-existent. It led to so many games being on a knife edge, and we'd leak goals, meaning we'd draw too many games. Van Dijk comes in, and most of that changes, cemented, of course, by Alisson's arrival. Those draws turn into wins pretty quickly. All of a sudden, Van Dijk's out the picture and people are wondering why we're back to the team we were without him. To me, it's clear. Van Dijk out also has a knock-on effect, of course, as well as him, but other centre-backs are out, meaning our best mid midfielder and our captain are taken off from the midfield and put at the back. For me, Jordan Henderson missing from that midfield is absolutely huge. Yeah, so I think, um, obviously, they've got problems at the back, which leads them to having to play midfielders in their back line. So... They're quite fortunate in a sense that they've got quality in Fabinho and Henderson, but what Jack's saying is spot on, I think. Like, you can't put midfielders into a into a centre-back role. Maybe ask them to do a job for 40 minutes in a game to change the shape, but don't ask them to do it week in, week out. I know that they've not really had a choice, but surely there's got to be kids that play at centre-back in the academy or in the under-23s that could do a job. I think it's... Uh... I think the pressing football that Liverpool played last year was so fluid and I think a lot of clubs, like especially Burnley, they were quite happy to just sit back and defend and I know they were fortunate to probably get the penalty and, and strike and hold on for the three points but I think if you're a team like that and you can soak up all the pressure at Anfield um, and without any fans, and we will touch upon that later, no fans in the grounds, I think um, you know teams like, you know, there's no disrespect to a team like Burnley but they're going to Anfield and they're you know, taking the game to Liverpool and we're seeing more and more teams um, taking scouts like, like Liverpool. Yeah, I think I agree with you there, Al. I, I, there, there's a certain animosity about it. So, in my opinion, I think that teams are happy to go to places like Anfield, uh, the Etihad, maybe even Old Trafford, and just sit back and play on the break. Or if they 
or manage to get a point it's brilliant if they manage to get all three points it's like a lottery win so you know you've only got to look at the Burnley game they get a penalty which was nailed on but they're waiting for something like that it's up to Liverpool to take the game to to Burnley and not the other way round you know and that's not just to be said for Burnley that's all all teams in the lower lower half they will get frustrated but it's up to Liverpool to show their class so we're looking back at uh, the weekend's game. Obviously, it's four-one loss at home to Manchester City. Um, at time of recording, they're ten points behind Man City, who have won fourteen successive games in all competitions, and they have a game in hand on Liverpool. Just have a look at um, the outlook for Liverpool. The next three games, they've got Leicester away on Saturday. They've got RB Leipzig at neutral ground in Budapest in the Champions League first leg, and then they follow that up with the Merseyside derby at home to Everton. How many wins do Liverpool get in the next three games, Dan? And do you think it's make or break for them? Yeah, I think they'll be okay against Leicester. But what I would say is Leicester do have the class in the front three to worry them. Um, I'd be a bit surprised if Vardy doesn't start, actually, because I think he could get behind that defence. That's what he's made his um, name in doing in recent seasons. The Champions League for me is a different kettle of fish, obviously. Neutral ground, no fans, as you say. I think they'll be okay. Uh, and the Merseyside derby without the fans doesn't have the same sort of spark or um, atmosphere. So Everton are playing well. It's just a tough one. I think they need to get... I need. They need to win all three just to keep that momentum going. And I think from a Liverpool fans' perspective, I think they've just got to win every game. Do you know what, Jack? Echoes your thoughts. He said, I think the fact... Uh, is that Liverpool need to win all three, need in bold, they need to win all three. He said, realistically, I'll be happy winning the Leicester and Everton games and the draw in Budapest. The Leipzig game being in Budapest makes it very hard to predict for either side. So I think he echoes your views, Dan, that Liverpool really need to kick on and this slump in form is, um, you know, is evident through the team. We've got Alisson, you know, with an absolute howler is very out of character. Um, the likes of Mane, Salah, Firmino, they're not really firing all cylinders like they were last season. And I think, what do you think has been the difference for Man City this season? Uh, I think they've just gone about their business quietly. They were a bit shaky uh, at the start of the season. I think the start of this season has been the most unpredictable in years. But what they have done is they've not really uh, succumbed to any pressure. The pressure's not really on them. The pressure is on Liverpool, uh, and I think that's what I mean. So, so Man City are just, you know, they're challengers again. So to them, it's just, let's just win every game, which we all know that they can do. But there isn't that much spotlight on their form if they're not doing well. But when they start to win games back to back, then people start to talk, talk about them again, which is what has happened in recent weeks. So one player who sticks out for me especially, uh, and a lot of other people have given this player rave reviews um, is how good Phil Foden's been I think he's been very much on the peripheral for the past few seasons kind of waiting for the, the time when David Silver was going to move on but how good has Phil Foden been and how big can he be for Man City and for England uh, you know in the years to come I think we touched on it in the pilot episode didn't we Al that Phil Foden's probably one of the players that England and Gareth Southgate will be looking at in the next couple of tournaments to spearhead us through uh, the rounds and hopefully get to you know semi-finals or even finals and, and glory but uh, that is all down to Pep in my opinion uh, I think that his effect on a player like Phil Foden and he's he's managed the best so if he's getting Phil Foden to play that way he'll be you know he's a young kid Al he'll be just 
enjoying his football and I think that's what it boils down to. He's just enjoying his game. He hasn't had a, a major injury yet. He hasn't really suffered anything that's going to set him back uh, mentally. So, yeah, he's just enjoying himself. He's turned into an absolute baller. And, uh, you know, his goal on, on Sunday obviously topped it off. He's just oozing confidence, isn't he? I think that, um, you know, on the flip side of Liverpool, perhaps, you know, so lack of confidence. I think Man City is flowing from the front to the back. And that's evident in the fact that they remain in all four major competitions and they've got that squad depth, you know. Um, how many trophies do you think they can win, Dan? It, it depends. I think what we've seen from City, not just City actually, but they what they tend to do is they use that squad depth to get through the, the early rounds in the cup competition. And then when, when it really gets down to the nitty gritty and it's semi-finals and finals, they bring out the big guns. So, you know, you could argue that we could probably see them win two maybe even a treble but it's hard to say i wouldn't i wouldn't say that the premier league is a foregone conclusion even with that 10 point gap city and liverpool so moving to the bottom three in the premier league uh, one point's been picked up between them in the last round of premier league games dan do you think any other team will get sucked into the relegation scrap uh, I don't think so, Al. I think um, this year, I, I think 35 points will be enough for most teams to, to sort of cement their place into the league for next year. Um, it'll be interesting to see actually what our listeners think. Um, so if you've got any views on that, then uh, just comment on our socials. But yeah, I think as you say, Al, there's, there's a few teams just above. So I think Brighton are resting on 25 points at the moment. I can't see them getting sucked into it. Um, Burnley have a huge game against, uh, obviously, ourselves, Crystal Palace, on Saturday. So should they get a better of us on Saturday, I think that they'll obviously be safe as well. So there's a, there's a, there's a part of me that wants Fulham to stay up just because of uh, Jamie Carragher's comments at the start of the year. So I think, uh, yeah, I think 30, 35 points. Um, I mean, Fulham now on 15 points with Burnley the next up on 23. I mean, they'll probably get three points on Saturday against us. And uh, I just I just can't see anyone but those three going down. They've got a horrendous goal difference, all of them. So that probably counts for a point in itself. Um, I know Burnley's goal difference isn't fantastic, but they have got a game in hand on Newcastle who are two points ahead as a Brighton. I think it could be, I know we normally say like 38 is kind of the holy grail, 38 points and you'll be safe. But like I say, I think maybe as low as 30 could keep teams up this season. It's, 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 a, it's a very weird season and like, like I mentioned earlier, there's been winners and losers um, during lockdown with no fans. But incidentally, none of the, <laughs> the teams in the bottom three are surprising me that they are there, I think even with fans. West Brom, a bit of a yo-yo club, we said last week. I think Fulham are the same. And Sheffield United, another amazing last season. Um, and a lot of people, you know, wrote them off to go down straight away. And, uh, you know, they comfort you know, achieved comfortable safety. Um, but I think it's that second season syndrome and, you know, they are suffering that. I didn't envisage them to be on 11 points at this, you know, after 23 games played. But I'm not totally surprised that they're down there with the squad that they've got. 
Yeah, I think I think that I have to give my respect to the board at Sheffield United because they've sort of came out quite openly and said that they're happy to stick with Wilder despite the way that they're performing this year. So that might work in their favour next year. I think their fans have succumbed to relegation. But next year, if they have Wilder in charge, then they can keep some of their younger players. Uh, I know that Ethan Ampadu is on loan, but maybe he could sort of spearhead something in the, in the championship potentially. He's a good player. Just before we move on to a question that we got on uh, Instagram, I just want to give everyone a reminder of the giveaway that we've got on our um, Instagram page at the moment. For your chance to win a £20 voucher to spend at Amphibian Apparel, uh, you need to follow us on Instagram. You need to follow Amphibian Apparel on Instagram and like the giveaway post on our page. Uh, you do all three so you can be with a chance to win that £20 voucher to spend on Amphibian Apparel. We had a question from uh, Giggsy on our Huge Views DMs. Thank you very much for that, Giggsy. Uh, his question was, uh, which players do we think have benefited the most from no fans in stadiums? And he mentioned, um, in particular, players who frequently have fans on their backs, the likes of Wilfred Zaha and Raheem Sterling. Do they play better when they're rolled up or do they see it as a distraction? Yeah, I think from watching Zaha for so many years, and he definitely does play off of the way that opposing fans treat him in a game but what i've noticed this year is that when he doesn't get decisions his way he does tend to react um quite petulantly so i know on the last episode we touched on alfredo morelos Zaha has bags of ability I, I think that's known across the premier league i don't think anybody with an unbiased opinion can say that he doesn't have the quality but I think what might have stopped him from moving on is that attitude problem. Um, I'm guessing that we can cover that off in another episode altogether. But uh, yeah, he definitely is one that plays better when he is rolled up. It's, uh, well, for Zaha, like you say, it could be a debate in itself. I think with um, the fans getting on his back, when I look at the stats for this season, he's played 19 games. He's already been booked four times. Yet last season he played 38 games and he was booked five times. So I think that backs up your uh, opinion that he seems to get... I think, other, I think other players rile him up rather than the fans. And I think if he doesn't get the decision, and he's, he said before he feels like he doesn't get the protection that he deserves from referees. But Wilfred Zaha, you know, there's no doubt that he's a special talent. And perhaps it is that attitude and that temper that he has... Um, that has perhaps held him back from, you know, a top, top European team coming in for him. Um, you know, he's always shown his desire that he wants to play Champions League football. Whether a team in England would give him that chance, I don't know. Uh, again, like you say, you could, you could talk about Wilfred Zaha f for the whole hour, but he's worth more to Crystal Palace than other teams are willing to pay for him. So... Have, will he be priced out of a move? Uh, you know, I don't know. And, you know, we could, we, we digress. Yeah, so I think, like, uh, sorry, Al, I, I think, like, his, his return from last year, the four goals, that I, I personally would put that down to the fact that he didn't get the move that he wanted and sulked throughout that entire campaign. And what I would say about this year is that we've shown our intent uh, bringing in uh, Eberechieze um, just to maybe show that there is life after Wilfred Zaha. And it's made him up his game. And uh, he is obviously still our talisman, without doubt. But he is 28 years old now. So if he was to move on 
four trophies, which is obviously what players are. Yeah, it's it's, it's, it's what they're looked at um, when once they retire. You know, it's about how many trophies and medals you've got. The fact that he doesn't have any, he won't be happy with that. Um, but obviously, uh, Giggsy has mentioned Sterling as well. So his return last year was uh, what was it twenty twenty goals, I believe. And so far, what what has he got so far? Uh? Yeah, so the, the two players that Giggs mentioned, obviously they're very much the flair players for that team. So Zaha in the 2021 season, after 19 matches, he's scored nine goals with two assists. Um, now Sterling has played 20 matches with eight goals and four assists. Compare that to last season, you know, I think Zaha, in 38 matches, he got four goals, three assists. You know, he's already better, he more than doubled his goal total already and he's still got, you know, half the games left. Raheem Sterling, on the other hand, after 33 matches, scored 20 goals. Uh, I know Man City are in all four competitions, uh, but he's going to have to hit a purple patch to you know match that and better it. And I think part of that is is the rotation that Man City use. Um, and the likes of Phil Foden is out there, and Sterling may see that as you know, something to challenge for his spot. And you you look at any player of Man City, they say, okay, well. If they're not got that player, they've got another player in reserve. Um, you know, Kevin De Bruyne is not there, but Gundogan's been there, uh, and he's absolutely flourishing at the moment. Um, Mares is very much a bit player as well. Gabriel Jesus, Aguero, you know, the, the list is endless um, with who Man City have at their disposal. Just want to look ahead to the uh, the biggest winners and losers during lockdown. Thank you very much for your question, by the way, PT. In my opinion, obviously, we touched on him earlier, and you know, it's not a Phil Foden show, but I think he's definitely one of the the winners during lockdown. And like I said earlier, I think following David Silva's departure, he's uh, absolutely thrived. And I know you mentioned Dan that having uh, you know a mentor like Pep Guardiola can only do positive things for his career. Uh, and I, I don't know his age off the top of my head, but I think he's only about 20, 21. And you know, what's this guy going to be like at 26 when he's in his prime? And, um, you kind of cling on to that hope that England will win a major tournament. I think with the players like him and, and Sancho, you know, the future de- future definitely looks bright. So uh, we can we can only hope. Yeah, I think um, the only thing with all of these young players, not just Phil Foden, but it seems like any player is always tipped to be the next big thing. And we know from experience there's a few players there that have fallen away over the years. But you touched on where will he be at 26. Phil Foden is the first player in a long time that I've watched that I could probably see backing up the media hype and attention. Um, He's only done a few interviews post-game. But he comes across really well. He comes across really mature as well. So that that's a massive thing for him. Uh, and as you say, as you mentioned, obviously mentoring by uh, Pep is a is a massive thing as well. So looking at his age, so he is twenty. He's uh, twenty one this year. He's played seventeen games. He's scored five goals, and he scored the same amount of goals last season. And you know, over across uh, over a space of twenty three games. So Phil Foden's future is is definitely bright. And also another um, a big winner in terms of a team, I think, during lockdown is West Ham. Um, at the time of recording, they're in sixth place at the moment, and I think they're I think they're overachieving just. I think if you ask the West Ham fan, they would take um, they'd love a cup run. Obviously, what team wouldn't? To be uh, level points with Chelsea, and they're only eleven points off top. I mean, West Ham aren't going to win the league, but. Why couldn't they break that top four mould? If Liverpool are going to 
have this run of form they've currently got and um, you know Leicester it's only four points away why not but you know I think West Ham and Manchester United are the biggest winners in lockdown and without any fans the fact that Man United are second they probably if you ask a Man United fan uh, they probably say they should be challenging for the title and recently they haven't been but they would take top four and a cup like that yeah yeah absolutely I say it through gritted teeth trying to remain unbiased but West Ham deserve to be where they are I think uh, I'm glad that they've stuck with David Moyes because I know that last season they were a bit hit and miss he's obviously brought in some players over the summer some targets of ours as well the the thing for me is yes West Ham fans will probably think well maybe they are overachieving but at this stage of the season and all of the uncertainty that's happened this season with results and freak results there's absolutely no reason why they can't be in the top seven come the end of the season and, and look into the Europa League. And I think a team who, uh, it's hard to call a team of the biggest losers, far from the teams that are in the relegation battle, and like I said earlier, I think the teams that are there, you probably think they'd be there or thereabouts anyway. But I think, um, I know Liverpool, they're only fourth, but you know they're only 10 points off City, but I've, I've said that they're the biggest losers primarily because I think their title defence should be a lot stronger. Um, I think, you know, Klopp's made it no secret that they haven't got that war chest to spend like the likes of Chelsea and Man City perhaps do have. Um, but I thought Liverpool would have given it a bit of a better go and um, I think they'll be um, more than willing to see fans back at Anfield again and be that 12th man. And I think, you know, not... Not having that for you know over half a season has really taken its toll, and you know, I really expected a better title, a title defence from Liverpool. Yeah, I agree with you, Al. I think, as you say, it's very unfair to call any any team, especially a team in fourth place, a, a loser, so to speak. But they, you know, it's no secret they've been desperately unlucky with their injuries. The the thing with me is that Klopp has come out with some questionable excuses over the last few weeks. Fixture congestion. We're all facing fixture congestion. You can't fix that. You've just got to roll with the punches a little bit. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you, mate. And I think a team like Liverpool, they should be used to uh, fixture congestion. If you're in the Champions League, and nine times out of ten, Liverpool make the knockout stage of the Champions League, so. That's adding fixtures to it, and you know, League Cup, FA Cup, they're going to be there or thereabouts. So you're always fighting on, you know, the four fronts. And I think, and I know that a lot of teams are playing, you know, maybe two or three games in a week. But uh, for for Klopp to say about fixture congestion, I, you know, a lot of managers would you know, see that as a nice problem to have, uh, especially when you're champions of England. I think that's part of it. Everyone wants you as a scout. But yeah. Yeah, I think that, that that's 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 a good point actually. But you know, there's managers that have managed Liverpool before that have never come out with that, and they've played across all competitions in a in a domestic season. Now I understand the pressure that comes with being the defending champions, but I, I really like Klopp. I just want to put it out there. I think he's a great manager. Um, his man management is brilliant, and the way he's changed the game, as you said, men, uh, as you mentioned, and I think Jack mentioned as well. There's a lot of teams that are moulding their game to the high press uh, and, all, you know, everything that goes with that. So I don't have anything against that, but, you know, the, it's the excuses for me. He's not the only one, but I think as defending champions, I think they have succumbed to the media a little bit um, and he seems to have snapped in recent weeks. He seems to be very aggressive in the way that he comes across in interviews. Uh, I know that 
the pundits and all of the people that are involved in that are trying to get those sort of reactions. But as a professional, you could argue that maybe he needs to st take a step back a little bit, focus on what's important, which is winning games of football. The last, well, the last piece on the biggest winners and losers, like we say, it's not nice to call a player a, a loser or a team a loser, especially when we're sitting in front of a laptop. But I've said that Aubameyang is a loser for this season. Um, his uh, stats are 19 appearances and five goals in 2021. I know he's had stuff going on behind the scenes, but compare that to last season. Um, he had 36 appearances and 22 goals. So I guess with Aubameyang as captain of Arsenal, Dan, Arsenal sitting 11th at the moment, uh, and they're only eight points off of Chelsea, but in terms of Arsenal, do you think they've been below par this season? Yeah, I think so. Towards the start of the season, they were relegation candidates, Al, um, and that's not any joking around. They, they genuinely were in relegation form. So they have picked up. Um, again, I'm glad that they have stuck with Arteta. I mentioned in the last episode, I like to see managers get time. Um, I'd be very interested to have the views of uh, Arsenal fans if anybody wants to join us in, in the next few episodes. I'm sure there'll be something to come from this. But uh, yeah, I think that they've underachieved this year. I think there's a number of players that need to stand off and be counted. I think Nicolas Pepe, huge price tag, uh, hasn't really brought anything to the table. So, and, and, and again, those stats don't lie out. You know, Aubameyang was knocking goals in last year and he, it seems to have dried up for him. Looking at Arsenal's, their last five fixtures, they've won one. So they lost uh, to Southampton in the Cup and then they followed that up three days later by winning 3-1 in the league. They drew it home to Man United, lost at Wolves, lost at Villa. Looking ahead, they've got Leeds in the league um, and they've got Man City either side of Benfica in the Europa League. Leicester, Burnley and then the North London derby against Spurs. Um, I think it's too early to say that uh, Arteta isn't the right man. I think he's going to get time. I think they were very much um, hoping that Unai Emery would be the messiah after Arsene Wenger. I think Arteta will be given that time. Uh, he's learned his trade under uh, Pep Guardiola. So I think it will click into place and this season might be uh, you know, one of building and finding out who his best team is and... Um, it may be that come the summer he moves a few players on, has a look at the Euros and then brings in a couple of big names. Um, but he's got a mixture of uh, big talents and, and kids in there as well who are doing really well. Saka springs to mind and Smith Rowe especially. They've been absolutely fantastic this season. Um, I think if Arsenal can maybe go on a little run of games, you know, they could find themselves knocking in the Europa League places and they might, you know, they might not settle for Europa League football, but I think it's going to be realistic. It will be Europa League football or nothing. Uh, and I think if you offer it, like you said at the start, when they were in quote marks relegation candidates, Arsenal would never go down. But um, from going to that horrific start to you know um, Europa League football, and if you know why can't they win Europa League? Um, if you can string a couple of results together in Europe, uh, suddenly the season looks you know looks like a good one. I think the problem with that is that Arsenal are massively inconsistent this year. So you, you mentioned, obviously, they went out of the cup. They, they did play a weakened squad, but they played the same opposition a matter of days later and managed to get three points. How different can it be? The, the other thing for me as well is, you know, you say, why can't they uh, win the Europa League? There's no reason why, but they have to. If they want to play European football next season, they've got to win the Europa League. I do not think that they're going to get in that top seven. Controversial, mate. We clash. <laughs> that's that's why we do this, Al. 
just want to thank everybody for listening again. Um, and like Dan said earlier, we're looking to hear from Arsenal fans, Chelsea fans, Tottenham, whatever club you support. Let's uh, try and get you on the show. Or send us a DM and we can put it to myself and Dan and we can analyse it. Um, and just to go through the, uh, the sponsors again, Amphibian Apparel, whatever the situation, home, streetwear and sports, there are no excuses. And KH Decorating, making your house a home. Um, plugging the uh, giveaway on Instagram again, um, like our pages on uh, the socials and like the giveaway post and we will announce the winner next week. Uh, the topic's yet to be undecided. So um, if you want to get on the show, if you want to talk about your club, if you want to talk about anything that's going on in the news at the moment, um, then let us know. Thank you very much. Yeah, thanks everyone.